Uh, how did all this happen? Well, it actually started in New Orleans uh, back in 1978. Vicki and I preached uh, at a conference in New Orleans. Uh, two speakers, I remember the names, I don't know how, Bill Bazansky and Joe Jordan. Uh, and, I, and I don't know how they got me in there, but I spoke. And there was a group from HOMA that attended there at to that conference. And they heard me, and they said, they kind of cornered me after and said, would you like to come to HOMA? I said, what's a HOMA? Uh, I never heard of HOMA. And they said, well, it's this town not too far from here. Uh, and they asked me to come back, and we did. We met at the Sleeker building, and we actually came back two or three times uh, to the Sleeker building. And a group, four or five uh, families got together and said, would you consider coming more regularly? Uh, and I said, well, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to be a pastor, though. And they said, well, uh, if you would just come, and maybe we'll see what God does. And I said, well, I'll stay, I'll come six months, and then God will send a pastor, and then we'll go back, because I was basically an evangelist at the time, traveling around, doing different things, singing, and then preaching. Uh, and God did send a pastor. I just didn't know it was going to be me. Uh, so we met at the American Legion, uh, first building after Sleeka, uh, and there was the bingo hall right next door, and they would play bingo and talk B-54, and I would get in my next point before they uh, talked again, uh, and we met there almost a year, and then we moved from there to Lisa Park School, uh, and every Sunday morning we would have to uh, pick up all the chairs and the tables and set out all the chairs in a row. And, and then I, I would uh, lead worship and Vicki would do the nursery and then I would teach the children's church and then I would get up and then I would preach. Uh, we kind of had to do everything. And we did that for almost a year, about nine months. And then we got our first building. We rented the building. You saw a picture of it, 1200 Barrow Street. You've probably driven by it on Barrow Street. Uh, it was our first rented building, and we were so excited. Uh, we actually got to rent it and, and got to put our chairs up, and they left them up, you know. And so it was exciting. Uh, we began to grow. And believe it or not, we had three services on Sunday morning uh, in, in that little building. And it was so small. You could only put about 100 and maybe 125 chairs in there. It was pretty tight. Uh, low ceiling, but we made it. We, we uh, met there for a time. And then we moved from there to a building on Prevost Street behind the McDonald's. Uh, it was actually the old driver's license building uh, there on Prevost Street. We met there, re remodeled it, re redid it, and met there. And we were there when the Lord spoke to me and said, buy some land. And uh, he said, actually, he said, buy some land on Bayou Black. And that's all I heard. And I said, okay, well, I'm looking. Uh, what, what do I do? And, of course, we were saving our money at the time. And I met a man named Max Blundell. He was head of what's called the Val High Corporation. And uh, in conversation, he said, by the way, we're going to open up some land. Uh, this is all sugarcane land there on Val High Boulevard where the school is now. There was no road in there. There was, no, there was not even a bridge over the bayou. You couldn't even get in there. And he said, we're going to build a bridge. We're going to sell lots, and we're going to build in there. Uh, 
And I said, well, that would be a great location if you could get to it. And he said, yeah. I said, do you have a piece of land that we could buy for our church? And he said, well, there's a perfect spot right here on this spot, here on this corner, right by the little uh, pump station. He says, four acres, uh, $100,000. Just so happened we had been saving our money. We had $100,000 in the bank. And I said, we'll take it. He said, now, what are you going to do there? I said, we're going to build a church. We're going to build a church debt-free. He laughed. He said, yeah, right. Uh, he didn't think that would happen. Well, we did. We bought it. They, we actually signed the papers before there was a way in there, before we could even walk on it. I just trusted the guy. I did check him out. He, he really was a developer, and he really was going to do this. Uh, and so they opened it up. You saw one of the pictures. We were the first building uh, to build on Valhalla Boulevard. Uh, we stood out there. You know, if you remember, we put up a sign that said, Construction Finances by God. <laughs> Those people didn't know what that meant. Uh, but we did it, and we, and we actually did a lot of the construction ourselves. You probably saw Vicki... And we got out there, Brother Gary Crump and, and Karen Crump and a bunch of the brother. Bobby Piku was our uh, coordinator, building construction guy, and he helped us uh, get it all together. And we were doing just about all the work ourselves. Uh, mudded the walls, painted the walls, built everything. And, and we just met in just the, it was just the, it was the gymnasium and the bathrooms. That's all it was when we got in there. And we actually moved in and started Home of Christian at the same time, 1985. And the very first thing we did, in the, and I, you probably didn't know this, but the first thing we did was we had a prayer conference. Karen Crump wanted to have a prayer conference, and it wasn't finished, not quite finished. She wanted to have that prayer conference. And I said, well, we don't have permission from the fire marshal's office. She said, that's all right. God will let us in there. You know, she was kind of bold. And we met. And I never will forget, we were standing there, and the fire marshal came in. And Karen had all these people, and they were praying, and you're interceding and praying. And the fire marshal said, you're going to have to get out. You, you don't have occupancy permit yet. And I said, well, see that lady down there, Miss Karen? I want you to go tell her that we're all going to have to leave. And he said, what are you all doing? He said, we're praying. And we're praying for God to move and the Holy Ghost to get a hold of your heart and to, and to bring salvation. And I caught a little closer every time I said that. And he said, who do you want me to talk to? That lady right down there. And he took one look at her and he said, y'all just have a good time. <laughs> he just walked away, <laughs> never came back. <laughs> I don't know how we, we finally did get occupancy uh, certificate about six months later, but uh, and we just kept building. And, and the reason was we had Home of Christian in the back of that auditorium, put three temporary walls back there and had uh, school back there in the back of the auditorium. And then from that point forward, we just kept building because uh, we kept having to make room for Home of Christian. We needed more classrooms, and then we built more classrooms, and we built the gymnasium, and then we built that back part back there. It just seemed like we were always building, and we always built debt-free. We just paid for it as we went. Um, that was just the way it was just in my heart that that was a good testimony for our community. Uh, and it was good for us. 
as a scriptural principle, so we just always built debt-free, went as we go, uh, did a lot of the work ourselves. And finally, for those of you who finally came on Valhai Boulevard, you recognize that we started having three services there, Saturday night and two on Sunday morning, and it got difficult. Uh, so we started praying for more land, and we were dry, somebody was coming to foundations class, saw a sign out on the Highway 311, said uh, acreage for sale. They'd painted a handmade, hand-painted sign, and it actually said 100 acres. But when I talked to the guy the next day, Mr. Olivier, who lives right up on the 311, he said, we don't know how many acres it is. It hadn't been surveyed in 30 years, but we think it's about 100 acres. Could be 90 or 95. We're not sure. So I said, well, we had been saving our money. And we had $300,000 in the bank. Uh, and he, I said, what are you asking? He said, we're asking $300,000. <laughs> Again, just exactly what we had in the bank. And I said, we'll take it. He said, the only problem is you're, you're not first in line. Now, I got there on Monday morning. They saw that on Sunday night. But two other people had said they want to buy it. Uh, a, vi- a video casino operator wanted to do it and put a big video casino casino type thing here and then another was a developer in town that wanted to divide this up and put lots here and houses and I said wow I said man we got here as quick as we could he said well he said let me uh we'll there are eight brothers and sisters I said we'll have to talk to all of them see what they say he said they're probably not going to want because these other people had offered more money uh, and so he said, you're probably not going to get it. Because uh, I, I told him, I said, we couldn't get in a bidding war with a, these other high-dollar people. I said, you know, this is all we've got, and we're going to pay cash for it. So we heard the next day, or it was two days later, we heard that the video casino guy upped his ante to $450,000. And so they said, well, you can pretty well write it off then. And Vicky and I, we heard, we cried. We said, you know, this has been a great opportunity to get this property. Man, I wish we could get it. And, uh, and we talked to the, Mr. Olivier, and he said, well, i tell you what. He said, I'm going to talk to all eight brothers and sisters. We're going to have a little powwow, and we're going to see. Do they want to sell it to this big uh, money guy, or do we want to sell it to a church for less money? He said, but that's probably not going to happen. And I said, Okay. So a couple of days later, he called me up and he said, congratulations, we all met and we all agreed to sell it to you, the church, for $300,000 rather than take the more money. It was a miracle. I mean, that was a miracle. And you couldn't even drive to the back. Uh, it was just thorns and thistles and, and briars all the way to the back, back there. So that was 1999. Uh, we're still meeting three services on Valha Boulevard. And we just began working. I got out of here on the tractor and was mowing and bush hogging, trying to make a path all the way to the back. And we started working on it. First thing we built was a prayer garden back there. And then we were given an acre's land over on uh, Venture Boulevard. And we felt like the Lord wanted us to build the lighthouse for the young people while we were saving money for, the, for building a building. But we felt like investing in our kids was important, so we did. We built that uh, building there on Venture Boulevard, the lighthouse for our kids, while we were saving money for a future sanctuary. 
we reached a critical point. Um, it was probably about 2005. Uh, we had uh, about $1.7 million saved up. And they were telling us, the architect was telling us it's going to take about $10 million to build what we wanted to build, the structure we wanted to build. And uh, I, I never will forget, I got alone with God and I said, God, what do we do? Because the figures were that if we kept saving our money at the rate that we were going, that the building prices were going to be higher than we could ever afford. It was kind of, we were always behind the eight ball. We couldn't save it fast enough to catch up with the building prices. So I got along with God and, and the Lord spoke a word. He said, you'll never get to the other side of the bank until you launch the boat. Start building. So I remember telling the congregation then, I said, we're going to start. And by that point, it was about six months later, we had almost $2 million in the bank. And we had just enough money to pour the concrete and we hired Leverance to be our building construction guy. And uh, we had just enough money with that $2 million to pour the concrete. Uh, and, of course, there were pilings down here, a huge amount of pilings they had to drive. And put the steel structure up. That's what that $2 million bought us. Uh, and I want to tell you, we, we broke ground. If you saw the pictures, 2006. Uh, and from that point forward... We never stopped. God did a miracle after miracle after miracle, provided. We had a lot of people in our church were contractors. Uh, Sam Sanders gave a great deal on the air conditioning. Uh, you know, different bro helped us with our steel, uh, you know, studs. And, and we had, you know, Troy and Chase Electric helped us with the electrical and Dishman Flooring helped us with our flooring. And just, we had a lot of people in our, build, in our church that helped us out and spaced the payments out so we could pay for our everything on a kind of on a basis. And it just was one miracle after another. And as I thought back to everything God had done, I just want to say that it was not just me and my wife. It was the people. It takes the people of God... And the Lord Jesus himself being faithful. It was not a one-man show. God used me and my wife to be the leaders. But it took lots of people giving, sacrificing, helping, praying, uh, and sometimes physically getting in there and working. And when you look at the last 40 years, it has been amazing. And, you know, even the, you know, I thought about all the miracles that it took just to get my wife and I together. <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother miracle in itself, just that we met and got married. But I believe it was in the heart of God, the vision for the Living Word Church was in the heart of the Father. And long before we even got to Valhalla Boulevard, it was the Father's heart. And the Lord spoke real simple words. Have a place where you can worship freely. Have a place where you can learn to pray effectively. And then teach the word with balance. That was my directive from the Lord. And I endeavored to do that. But again, it took lots of people. 
lots of people, and you, many of you here were part of that, giving and helping and supporting. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you uh, for everything that you have done. And I do have a word from the Lord for you. Uh, as I prayed, I, I wanted to share what I've just shared, and that is the history of our church. Uh, there's a lot more to it, obviously. Um, a lot of miracles that happened down the road, a lot of exciting things that we've done. But I, I did pray, and I said, Lord, I, I would like a word from the Lord, from you, Lord, for this church going forward. And I know Brother Ben is going to share some things that the Lord has put us on his heart, but I want to share with you what the Lord put on my heart as a word to you, the, the local church. The first of all, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, he says, to make the most, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And the verse 17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And that verse in the New Testament spurred my heart concerning another verse in the Old Testament. Actually, a verse I've been looking at and thinking about for a while. And it's one little obscure verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. But I want to set up the picture before I read this to you. David is gathering people together. And they have one desire. They want to make David king. They want to gather together and make David king of Israel. And chapter 12 is really an amazing chapter because what it does, it lists all the warriors and all the people who um, were strong. They were warriors. It says one of them could take on a hundred men and ten of them could take on a thousand. Everyone was strong. Everyone was a warrior. Some could shoot left-handed and right-handed. Some could use a, a sword. Some were skilled as horsemen. But then in one verse, and this verse always, it just, it just seemed out of sorts. It just didn't seem to fit in the middle of that whole chapter. Because if you'll take time today and read that whole chapter, chapter 12, 1 Chronicles, there's this one verse in verse 32, and I want to read it to you. Interesting. It says this. It says, of the children of Issachar, and this is the new King James, first of all, of the children of Issachar who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Now let, now let me read it in the New Living. From the tribe of Issachar, it's very similar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Now you have to realize what this slips in the middle of. All the other verses talk about strong warriors, fighters, swordsmen, able to shoot a bow. And then right in the middle, it talks about the sons of Issachar. And it doesn't mention strength. It doesn't mention any kind of power or ability or uh, anything to do with a warrior. It just says these men, these men of Issachar, they had the wisdom to know 
the right thing at the right time and then to do it. And when I read that, coupling with Ephesians 5, 16 and 17, make the most of every day, I felt like the Lord said, say this to the Living Word Church. And that is in this day, in this time, you as a church and as individuals, you need the prophetic anointing of Issachar. Meaning, you need the wisdom of God to understand the times you're living in. It's not a matter of your strength. It's not a matter of numbers. The only thing it mentions here is 200 guys that were the leaders. But everybody, everybody in the sons of Israel, they were under their command. And the other ones were like 50,000 and 40,000 and 25,000. But here it's just 200 leaders and their relatives. If you do a study of the sons of Issachar, they became the tribe, the leaders, that gave direction and wisdom for the nation of Israel. When they were wondering what to do, they came to those leaders of the tribe of Issachar because God had given them an anointing a special prophetic anointing to have wisdom to know what is going on, what the culture is saying, what is happening, what is God doing, and this is the way that we should go. And as never before, every local church needs the wisdom of God to know how to reach the culture and the people and the the, the needs of the people where they are. Your needs in this community, it's not like any other needs. And you can't have a cookie-cutter formula to say this is what you need to do because somebody down 500 miles from here says that's the way to do it. That's not necessarily true. You need the wisdom of God, that prophetic anointing of Issachar, to hear from God, this is what's going on. This is what you need to do. And then you need the courage to do it. One of the reasons the mantle was passed from me to Pastor Ben was because God saw ahead. He looked ahead and he chose Ben to be the person who would have that wisdom of Issachar. And he would direct this church to have wisdom what to do, where to go, how to do it. It's not that I'm finished because God is still using my life. We've been able to have influence and impact in other pastors' lives. We just recently did a a pastor's conference up in Wisconsin. Had a tremendous time. I've been able to speak to different uh, conferences and other pastors, and my passion today is to try and impart my heart and my life and the things I've learned into the lives of other pastors. I would like to share with you what it really means to make the most of your time. Because I have learned time is one of the most valuable assets you have. And what that means is you better invest your time wisely. And so I want to challenge the leadership 
And I want to challenge you as individuals, invest your time wisely. Make the most of every day. And learn the wisdom of saying no. (laughs) Sometimes you've got to learn to say no and not feel guilty about it. Because it's not exactly the right thing God wants you to do right now. It may be a good thing. But it may not be the right thing at that time. So, let's talk just a minute about investing your time. How do you invest time? Number one, I want to encourage you to invest in the future. When I say that, I I mean children and grandchildren. How many of you know your children and your grandchildren are important? That's important. So I want to encourage you, invest in your children. Invest in your grandchildren. One of the reasons we created and started uh, Home of Christian School and we built that lighthouse and, and we've done so many things for children is because I believe our children are important. It is the future. So if you're going to invest your time as a local church and as individuals, I strongly encourage you, invest in the future by investing in your children and your grandchildren. Never a bad investment. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with your grandchildren. I had the privilege of uh, being with my grandson this last hunting season. And I haven't had a whole lot of time to be able to spend with Scott and and Tomas, who's my grandson, but he turned 14, and I got to be in the deer stand with him when he shot his first buck. Now, that may not mean anything to anybody else, but it was exciting to me. It was exciting for my grandson, I guarantee you. We had a great time. Invest in your children and your grandchildren. The second thing, invest in the right people. Now, say that carefully. Invest in the right people. Because I want to share with you that I did learn a few things by being here almost 39 years. And that is, I've learned that there are four types of people in the local church. The first is the kind of person that uh, they, they come in and they say, use me or lose me. And these are people that they need to be used. And if you don't use them, you'll lose them. And I want to encourage you as a church, learn to discern the, the qualities and the abilities and the talents of those God sends you and don't blow it. Utilize those talents. There's another group of people and they say, help me, I'm drowning. These people are a good investment of time because they come and they're struggling. They're just barely heads above the water. And they're overcome by life. They're hurting. They're distraught. They may be separated. They may be, uh, you know, the lives are devastated by some event. But basically, they come into the church saying, help me. Help me. I'm desperate. And I want to tell you, those are good people to invest your time in. And if you don't, you may lose them. 
not lose them so much from the church, but lose them, they just walk away from God because they need somebody to pick them up under their arm and say, come on, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you. And that's one of the things I, I, I enjoyed doing as I was pastor here. And I, and I believe Ben has that same heart. And I believe the church has that heart to help those who are hurting. That's important. There's a third group of people. And they come in and they say, impress me or I'm out, I'm out of here. And I just want to tell you, don't waste your time. Not a good investment of your time. Why? Because they're on their way out anyway. God has not brought them to a point of maturity. And they're basically self-centered, self-focused. They only think about themselves. And they constantly will demand your time. And you'll lose them anyway. So don't waste your time. Learn to recognize that attitude, that spirit, and invest your time in someone else. And the last group I want to say, we have a lot of those at Living Word Church. I love this group. This is the group that says, I'm here to serve. Don't worry about me. I love this because there are some people, basically, God has brought you to a place of maturity where you have one thing in mind, and that is you want to serve Jesus. You want to love the people. You want to bring more people to Christ. You want to exalt Jesus. You want to make Jesus king. Just like those men of Iskar, they and all those men, they all wanted to make David king. We all want to make Jesus king. And, oh, if the church was filled with these what a great church it would be. Because if you don't tell them you love them and don't hug them, it's okay. They don't get offended. They don't worry about it. They know the Lord and they will spend time with God. And they have a relationship that is not based on someone else. But it's based upon their relationship. And they've come to know a loving Savior. And they want to help others to know that same Savior. So I encourage you. If you're here today and you're, you're one of those people that want to be used. I encourage you to let the leadership know. This is who I am and I'd like to be used. Now, there's a time of training. Approving. Making sure you're ready for that, and that's what leadership has to do, is make sure you are ready to be used. If you're one of those who's saying, I'm drowning, and I'm hurting, then let somebody know. I'm struggling, and I need help. If you're one of those who say, impress me or I'm out of here, then go ahead and go on out of here. And grow up. Third thing I want to encourage you to invest your time in, and that is invest your time in prayer and the Word of God. I was thrilled to hear uh, Brother Ben talking and starting the disciple uh, grouping. Uh, Great. Intentional study of God's Word. I love it. Uh, Having times of prayer, great, love it. 
Because investing in praise and worship and prayer and the Word of God pays great dividends. Great dividends. And invest in worship. True worship. I always love our worship teams because they love to worship God. And if you're not a worshiper, I invite you, become a worshiper. Worship the living God. And the last thing I would like to caution you on, and that is Satan is a master thief of your time. Be careful. If Satan can't steal anything else from you, he'll steal your time so that you can't do the things you should be doing. So again, learning to discern between that was good and that which is right. Become like the sons of Issachar. Discern the times. Discern the needs. And make the most of every day. I am thrilled with what Brother Ben is doing, how well the church is doing. Uh, it excites my heart, both my wife and I. And I, I can't tell you how much I love you. We appreciate you. As we were driving in, my wife said, Honey, what do you miss about Homa? And I said, Besides Ronnie's donuts, what do you think? <laughs> and she said, Besides Ronnie's donuts, you know, it's something spiritual. And I said, Well, the people. The people. I miss the people. I love you. You're part of my life. You're my family. And I love you. And Vicki and I both love you. It's great. Thank you, for Ben, for letting me come back. Enjoy this time. Okay, brother. Lord's going to use you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Renee, for sharing your heart. And I take those words of wisdom to, to heart. And I really uh, I appreciate that. So I'm going to be quick because I know it's getting close to time where we would normally be out. But I just this is a special service and it is a special time for us to take the time to hear from God's word. And so we are at, it is a significant time. Just thinking back, watching that video, um, you know, I, I was, was I even born in 1979. You know, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I was born in 81. I wasn't a part of that. And just to think that the Lord would ask me to be a part of such a great history. I, I, I still am in awe of that. I, I have not lost that wonder of the responsibility. And I pray I never do. And you can pray for me that I never do. Because it's, that's just such an important aspect for me as a pastor to keep me humble. To remind me that this and everything that the Lord has done is not because of me. Even if I tried to figure out how it was because of me, it, it is not because of me. And I'm so honored to be your pastor. So honored that I get to build on the legacy that Pastor Nay and Vicki and you as a congregation built. And I, I, we get to continue forward. And, and I loved what you said there about uh, the people of, of, of Issachar. And, and you used the word courage. You talked about how they needed courage. And that's what I want to share and I just want to talk about why we need courage, because we do have a future. We are here. 
which means that we have a future. We are here, which means that God has a plan. God, and this is what, I, this is what rested on my heart all of these months and a couple of years leading to the transition, I realized that if God was putting me in place, he wasn't putting me in, in place to where we would run the church into the ground, which was a fear, but he's putting me in place as the, as the leader so that we could go into the future, so that, so that God would, would do new things and, and that he would, he would cause our influence as a congregation to increase. And that, that was what I would continue to rely on. I think back, God, you're doing this because you have a plan. You're doing this because you are wanting us to continue to go forward. And, and to do that, you need courage. We need courage to not be fearful of the future. We need courage to, to, to rest all of our hope in Christ for what he has planned, what he's called us to. So that's what I want to talk about. And one of the things, things I thought about was Joshua. So I just want to read this section of scripture, Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read nine verses. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. I have to say this, Pastor Renee, you are not Moses, and you did not die. You are here, right? But you were the leader. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and I am not Joshua, but I am the next leader that the Lord put in place. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over to this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's powerful promises there. So this is what I want to tell you. We need courage. I need courage, but we need courage as a church that God has a plan, that God has a future for us as a congregation. So our courage must rest upon something. And the first thing I want to say is this, that our courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. Our courage as a church, my courage as a pastor, our courage as a leadership, it rests upon a clear assignment from God. I don't know why I'm crying. Oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, help me. Listen to this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to you. And he says, every soul that every place the sole of your foot will tread, I have given it to you. So what did, what did the Lord tell Joshua? He said, arise, go. I have a clear assignment for you. I have something that I've called you to do. And that's what I want to tell us as a congregation. We have a clear assignment. Our clear assignment is that we are to arise and to go and to move forward and to do what? To do what? To exalt 
Christ to make disciples, to equip the saints. That is our mission. Moses was dead. And a new generation of God's people were needing to be led into God's promises. And Joshua had been, Joshua could have been intimidated and I have been intimidated. We could be intimidated. We could be fearful. But God comes and says, arise, go, lead these people, lead them into my promises. And that is our clear mission. That's what you see when you walk through the front doors, when you walk through these side doors. What do you see? You see the purpose statement for our church. We exist to exalt Christ, to make disciples, to equip the saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says this. This is the Apostle Paul. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified that's our clear assignment jesus christ and him crucified and here's what i want to tell you this is our clear assignment to preach christ and him crucified to preach christ and him resurrected to preach christ the one who brings the dead back to life the one the one who heals and forgives the one who restores what is broken we preach Christ. This is our clear assignment. And if we, ever, if we ever get that wrong, if we ever get off that track, and if we ever try to think that we can come up with a new idea for our church to be about something else, God help us. God save us. God protect us from ourselves. If we would ever do that, we preach Christ. We don't preach the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. We must have courage to persevere in this calling. Amen? Are you with me? We have a clear assignment from God and we need courage. Secondly, our courage comes from the assurance of God's presence. The assurance of God's presence. Notice what the text says here. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And so what, what, what's, what's the next thing we need to be reminded of is that, is that our courage rests upon the reality that God's presence will be with us. He says he will never leave us and he says he will never forsake us. He will be with us. Our courage rests on the reality that we know that God will be with us. But where is the temptation? We talked about this two Sundays ago. If you remember back, I read Exodus 32 and then I read Exodus 33. And our temptation can be that we believe that we can do this without God's presence. And we can say, well, we don't really need God's presence. We can do church. We can have our order of our service and we can sing our songs and we can pray our prayers and we can preach our sermons and we can do church without God's presence. And I want to tell you that it is dangerously easy to do it. Just to do church without God's presence, to think that we can. And you remember what what, what I read in Exodus 32, the nation of Israel had got worried that Moses was not going to come back. And they they went to Aaron. They said, Aaron, I don't know. Where's where's our leader? I I don't know about him. And so we need something to worship. And so what did they do? They threw all their gold, all their earrings, their jewelry, their gold. They threw it into the fire and they melted it down. And Aaron made a golden calf and said, here's your God, the one that delivered you out of Egypt worship him so then God sees because he sees everything and he talks to Moses and he says Moses I'm done with these people these are your people you're the one who brought them out of Egypt you go and you take them and you go to the promised land look look what I read a couple of weeks ago listen to this the Lord said to Moses depart 
Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it. Listen to this. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites. I will prepare your way. I will defeat your enemies. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you. Do you remember that a couple of weeks ago, what we felt as we read that? God, we don't want your promises without your presence. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And that's what Moses said in Exodus 33. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct from every people in this land? And that's what I want us to never forget. That yes, we have God's commitment that his presence will go with us. And that's what our courage is founded upon. That's what we rest our courage on. But may we never get to the place where we take his presence for granted. We need to always be reminded, God, we need your presence. We need your power to accomplish everything. That to accomplish the clear assignment you've given us, we must have your presence. John fifteen five is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It says this, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what I want to tell you, church, family of God, apart from Christ, apart from his presence, apart from his power, we can do nothing. Apart from him being with us, apart from us being desperate for him, we can do nothing that's good in this life. Do you believe that? You believe that in in your personal life. In your personal life, if you think you're going to try to do life on your own as a believer, or if you're not a believer here this morning and you think you can do life on your own, I want you to know that you cannot do life on your own. You need to be in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing is successful. Nothing is prosperous without Christ. Amen? So our courage rests on the reality that God's presence is with, is with us. Thirdly, our courage is strengthened through focused determination. Our courage is strengthened through focused, de- focused determination. Look at the next section there. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Here's the key part right here. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success. Wherever you go. How are we going to be successful in the clear assignment that God has given us? Our courage must be strengthened through focused determination. We're not going to look to the right. We're not going to look to the left. We're not going to be distracted. But we're going to focus on our clear assignment of exalting Christ in all that we do. What are some things, just real quickly, what are some things? I thought of two things that will distract us as a congregation. And this, this can distract us. We, we, we can talk about distractions for us individually in our Christian life. But just in our context, as we're thinking about as a church, what can distract us from our clear assignment from the Lord? First thing I thought of is this, is that is disunity and discord in the church will distract us. He wants Satan, our enemy, wants to sow seeds of division and disunity in his church to keep us from staying focused on our clear assignment. Listen to the word of the Lord, Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us not look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's powerful, but you know what's even more powerful right here? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That mind of unity, that mind of not wanting to walk in division and disunity and discord, it belongs to us because we are believers in Jesus Christ. And so our, our courage is strengthened by focused determination. And when we decide that we're not going to allow our disagreements and disunity, the enemy wants to come and sow to distract us from our clear assignment. Another area the enemy uses to get us to looking to the right and to the left is that he wants to tempt us to look to the world. He wants to tempt us to look to the ways of the world. And I just want to tell you, as Pastor Nate was talking, as you were talk, talking about the times that we live in, and I could have got up out of my seat and just come and preach this point because I, I want you to hear this. We live in crazy times. We live in unsettled times. The world is in an unsettled place. And the enemy wants us to be so distracted by the things of this world. It is so easy. It is so easy as believers to be sucked in to the, to the lies of this world, to the lies of the enemy. We, we have it at the tips of our fingers access to, to anything we want to see, anything we want to listen to, any place we want to go. We have access and the enemy's there. He's waiting. He's constantly waiting in your life. How can I trip him up? How can I trip her up? How can I get her to look to the right or to look to the left and to not be focused on what matters most in this life? And if we're going to do anything in, as a church, we have to be holy. Amen. Do you hear me th- here this morning? We have to be holy. God is not coming back from a church that is looking everywhere but to him. God's coming back for a church that is, with, that, 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 that is without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a church that is surrendered wholly to him. And so if we are going to fulfill our clear assignment from the Lord, we must look straight ahead. Not allow disunity. Not allow infighting within the church. Not, al- not allow the, the lies of the enemy from the outside to come into the congregation. But we stand on the truth of God's word. Philippians 4 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, if, if it's worthy of praise, think on these things. And that's what we're called to do to, to keep our focus. And lastly, as, as we close here, our courage is founded upon the word of God. Our courage is founded upon the word of God. Listen to what, listen to what God told Joshua. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, how are we going to be prosperous? Listen, we're, 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 we're almost done. Listen, how are we going to be prosperous? How are we going to complete our clear assignment from the Lord to exalt Christ? Then you will have good success. Your way will be made to be prosperous. Then you will have good success when the word of the Lord will not depart from our mouth. When we will meditate on it day and night. We have courage because we know as a church and we know as individual believers that the Holy Spirit uses the power of the word of God to transform lives. That's what he uses. The word of God is what is powerful. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to transform your lives and to transform the lives of all those who will come into this building. And so our courage is founded upon that reality. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive. It's living. It's active. Sharper than the two-edged sword. Piercing to the, to the division of soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow. 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you, do you know that to be true of the word of God? So has the word of God pierced your heart? Has it discerned your thoughts and your intentions? It's what it does. It goes in. It's alive. And this is why we have courage because we know that the word of God will do its work. We know the word of God will transform people's lives. We know that it will transform our lives because it, it, it is alive. It's active. It's sharp. It pierces. It confronts. It challenges. And it transforms. Isaiah 55 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Our courage rests upon the power of God's word. That's what that's living word church is all about. From the very beginning, I've heard so many testimonies. What was it that drew people to living word church? It was the Holy Spirit. But it was that that man opened the Bible and he taught scripture. He taught the Bible and people came. That's why I came. That's why I came over 10 years ago. I came and sat in that pew on Val High on the right side because I knew, I knew, I heard in the community there's a church that opens the Bible and they teach it. That's why God built this church. We need the word of God taught in our community. We need it taught in our community. We need more than one church that does it. There's other churches that teach the Bible. I'm not saying we're the only one. But God's given us special influence as as a church. Living Word Church has been given special influence in this community. And we're going to carry on that legacy. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to teach scripture. Because we know it works. Because God uses his word. That's how lives are changed. So as I think about the next 40 years, one word comes to my mind. It's the word faithful. It's the word faithful. God was faithful for, 30, for, for 40 years. But when I think about the next 40 years to come, if the Lord tarries and we're all here, I think of the word faithful. But I see it a, a little different. We, we know God will be faithful. But I think about us. We must be faithful. That's the word that I think of. We've been entrusted with something that we must steward and take care of. We must be faithful. Faithful to do, to do what? Faithful in our integrity. Faithful in our love. Faithful in our unity. Faithful in our witness. Faithful in the pulpit. Faithful to guard the truth. Faithful in discipleship. Faithful in, in our families. What a great legacy. God moving in people's families all these years, but we must be faithful in our families, faithful to worship, faithful to pray. Oh, let me challenge you. We must pray. We must pray. If we do anything, we must pray. Faithful to give. Faithful to give. You are all so faithful to give. We must be faithful to give. And we must be faithful to serve. Where has God placed you? Where has he called you? What's your part to play in the next 40 years? Some of you think, well, I don't have 40 years left on planet Earth. Well, however much long you got, what's your place to serve? Where's God going to use you to be the person that when that unbeliever walks through that door, when that person is pastor and they said is beaten up and is broken and walks through that door, maybe it's going to be you who opens the door with a smiling face. You shake their hand and say, we're glad to see you here today. How can we serve you? Maybe that's you. What, 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 where are you going to find your place for the next chapter 
the next four, four decades of this church. That's what I want to challenge you, faithful to serve. So why, 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 why faithful? Why should we be faithful? Why? All for the glory of God. It's all for his glory because he deserves the glory. You may not have noticed Psalms 151 at the end of the slideshow, but I want to read it to you. I asked Caleb to put that at the end of that slideshow because this is what it's all about. Not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Amen. Stand your feet with me. Not to us. Yeah, you can clap better than that. That was half-hearted. Come on now. That's not, that, that, that's for him. That's for him. Come on, that's for him. We worship him. We honor him. We exalt him. To you be the glory, God. To you be the glory. Your name alone. Your name alone for your praise and for your name. God, this is for your name. Not to us. Not to me. Not to us. But to you alone be glory, Lord. God, this is why we exist. This is what this church is founded upon. God, we have a clear assignment from you. You've given us a clear assignment. And Lord, we can have courage in knowing that your presence is going to go with us. And may we never take that for granted. May we remain in a posture of dependency upon your presence. And God, I thank you, God, that we will not look to the right or to the left, that we will look straight ahead, that we will keep our focus on what matters most. We will not think about the petty things that separate us, but we will think about the main thing that unifies us. And that is what you have done in our lives through the gospel. And God, I thank you that all of this is founded upon your word. That's why we're here. You have spoken to us through your word, and we can know what you what you want us to know. You can speak to our hearts and you use the power of your word and the gospel to transform lives. That's why we're here. It's for your glory. It's for your name. And so, Lord, we're going to end this service. We're going to end this time singing a song of worship to you for your glory and for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you worship, won't you worship with me? Merciful King, broken and shame for all to see. Father laid down his son. Darkness to light, death calls to light. Heaven and earth will join and sing. Jesus.
bring you glory and to bring you praise. God, I thank you for this precious congregation, these precious people that were purchased by your blood. But I thank you, God, for the great privilege we have that I have to give the rest of my life to the purpose of, of loving them and shepherding them and seeing your image perfected in their life for them to become more like you each and every day. God, I pray that you would use us as a church to see your name exalted, to see disciples made, to see believers matured. We thank you for the next 40 years or, or whatever the time is you have for us, Lord. We will do it all for your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And, and everyone that's in agreement shouts amen. 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 All right. I love you. You are dismissed. <laughs>